And I am excited to be here with you guys this morning to jump back into our study of Acts. But I do want to give you a, a quick update. If I look at the app correctly, it looks like Brother Jeff is about halfway through his journey in the New York City Marathon. And he's tracking just under about eight and a half minutes per mile, and he's 13 miles into it. Listen, listen. I coach basketball, and I, I love getting up and down the floor, but I'm not running any 13, 26 miles at eight and a half minutes. It's just not going to happen for me. And so it's so cool to see somebody that we love so dearly be able to accomplish a feat so big. And I think we're going to see a part of that today as we jump back into Acts 24. So if you have your Bible or your phone or however you want to look at it, jump back into Acts with me and go to chapter 24. Now, I do have to give you just a bit of an idea of what we're going to try to accomplish today. I do think, and this is just me coming from me, I think Brother Jeff likes to set me up when he leaves town. And so let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about. I went back and looked. We started our study of Acts back on March 5th of this year. We have been in the book of Acts with very few stops along the way for the past eight months. And one of the things that I appreciate about Brother Jeff is he is not going to rush through anything just for the sake of saying that he did it, right? Even this race that he's running, there's a reason that he is running this race. There's a reason that God has called him to New York City to run this race. And so I'm so grateful that we have a pastor of this church that is not going to run through a book to just say, hey, we as a church have accomplished this book. And so over the last eight months, we have been journeying through the book of Acts. And no lie, I'm not lying to you. I didn't make this up. Brother Jeremy and I joked about it. and We thought about, we, we may say that it was something on our court. Listen, Brother Jeff leaves town. He is covered up through Acts 23, and he leaves me three chapters to cover this Sunday. Right? Like, he's like, all right, I, I guess we got to get through this book. And, and the best way I know to do it is leave three chapters for Brandon when it took us eight months to get through 23 of them. Now, I don't think he really did that on purpose. I just think that that's the way that it fell. But I do want to tell you, we are going to accomplish, or at least attempt to accomplish, to get through three chapters in the book of Acts today. Now, I'm not going to read all three chapters to you, so don't worry. We're not going to sit here and just listen to the book of Acts. But. I do think and find that it's a bit interesting that we are going to cover a little bit more ground than what we have been covering uh, um, lately. But there's a reason for that. And there's a reason that Brother Jeff Hardy had it outlined this way. And here's how I want to get you there. Today I want to talk you through three things about Paul. And those are his destiny, his direction, and his determination. So when we think about Paul and who he was... We see very clearly in Scripture that Paul was chosen for such a time as this. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But whenever you think about who Paul was and what he did and what the Lord called him to do, Paul was chosen for such a time as this. We get that Scripture from Esther when she was called to save the Jews, right? She was called for such a time as this. Paul was no different. He, too, was called to be different, to be set apart for the task that was on hand. And we've seen through our study of Acts what that was. He has now been, he's going to finish up his third missionary journey, and he is almost to Rome. Now, if you've looked ahead a bit, you'll notice that he does not get to Rome the way that he probably intended to get to Rome. But nonetheless, God had called him to do this. And then when we look at Paul's direction, when you remember back on who Paul was early in his story, Paul was zealous for the Lord. There's no doubt about that. He was zealous for the Lord. He was determined to do what he thought was right on the Lord's behalf, but yet he was a little misguided. And so instead of teaching about the way, he was persecuting those of the way. 
In fact, we see, uh, we'll see it today again when we journey back into the first of Acts. We'll see that he was there when Stephen was stoned. Y'all remember the story of Stephen? He's stoned as a martyr, as a believer in Christ, as, as one of the way, and saw a young man was standing there, and the ones who stoned Stephen laid the coats at a, at a young man named Saul. And then shortly after that, Saul is a part of the persecution that pushes the church out into different regions. And so Paul, Saul, same guy, same fella, new journey, new mission, goes from murderer to missionary. How cool is that? Paul was called for such a time as this. And the last thing I want to journey with you to, through today is Paul's determination. It did not matter where Paul went. Once the Lord got a hold of his life, Paul was determined to shine the light wherever he went. And guess what? That is our call and our mission too. Whatever the Lord, wherever the Lord takes you, whatever he calls you to, your job is to shine the light in all that you do. Right? So y'all think we can get through those three things together? I think we can. So we're going to give it a shot. So here we go. Let's talk about Paul's destiny for just a moment. When we look at Paul's destiny, one of the ways that I think that we can see this, and I mentioned it to you just a moment ago, is to jump back to sort of the beginning, not the very beginning, but everybody, I know you already told you to go to Acts 24, hold your place, but flip back to me, with me, to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. Acts chapter 9, verses 13 through 16. So let's look there together. And it reads like this. So what is happening, this is, this is Saul's conversion. This is when he's on the road to Damascus, and the Lord gets a hold of his life, and he says, hey, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul looks around, and like there's this voice and this vision. He's like, who is talking to me? And the Lord says, hey, it's me, and I've got a new plan for your life. But check this out specifically. When we talk about Paul's destiny, I want you to read with me verses 13 through 16. So the Lord says to Ananias, remember Ananias is the guy that's going to go help uh, Saul no longer be blind. He says, Ananias says, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So Ananias is also having this conversation with the Lord because the Lord has called Ananias to go speak to Paul in his condition of his blindness. And Ananias is like, hold up just a second. Are we talking about the same fella? right? Saul, the one who persecutes, the one who is here on mission to find people like me and to imprison me. And the Lord's like, yep, that's him, right? In verse 15, but the Lord says to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So from the very beginning, as soon as the Lord gets a hold of uh, of Paul, He tells Ananias, and he shortly then after tells Paul, he says, hey, I've got a job for you, Paul. I've got a job that you could not imagine. I know where you've been headed, and I know that you think that you're doing my work, but hey, listen up. I've got a new plan and a new mission and a new journey for you, and it's going to be greater than anything that you could ever imagine. And that's what the Lord says to Ananias, and he's telling that to Paul through Ananias. And so we see a shift in who Paul was in his destiny. He thought he was destined to study under Gamaliel. He thought that he was destined to be a Pharisee. He thought that he was destined to keep the law, but yet the Lord showed him a new way. And listen, to some, to some aspect, to some point, all of us have been there in our lives. We thought we had it figured out. Some of us, whenever we were teenagers, we, we, we'd know way more than our parents do. I got a couple coming up that way. Fortunately, so far, none of them have stood up and said, hey, Dad, I got it figured out. You don't sit to the side. And watch what happens. 
luckily they haven't done that yet. But I know that sometimes that's how we think. We think, man, I've got this figured out. And the people around me, they are so foolish. And then it takes something. And our, the Lord gets a hold of our life. Sometimes pulls us by the shirt collar and says, hey, boy, let me, let me tell you the real story. Let me tell you what I've really called you to do. And we get to see a turning in our lives. That's that idea. Brother Jeff loves to, to speak on repentance and, and the idea that we get to turn away from our old life and be in our new life. We just celebrated that. The opportunity to be buried with our sins, to be buried with Christ and raised to new life in Christ. And so some point, we've all been there, where we have thought we had the direction and the Lord gets a hold of our life and says, hey, buddy, let's go this way. And in that moment, I think sometimes we're a little afraid and we're a little unsure. What do you, what do you think Paul was thinking? He, he, he has this vision from the Lord and he knows that he has a new journey, but, but do you think maybe he's just a little bit afraid? I mean, as, as zealous and as much fervor as Paul had, I have to believe that at some point he questioned, was this vision real? Is my blindness real? Is the Lord coming to me on the road to Damascus, was that real? Has he really called me to something different than what I'm living right now? We all have those thoughts too. When God calls us something, especially something out of the ordinary, something uncomfortable, I think we have those thoughts and those questions of, is this really the Lord? Or is it just what I ate last night for supper, right? Maybe not to that extreme, but it's that same idea of what is this voice that is talking to me? Because if you're anything like me, I did not get that, uh, that road to Damascus vision. I did not have the Lord blind me in this great vision and speak to me audibly and say, Hey, Brandon, guess what? You're going to be a teacher. You're going to be a teacher of science and you're going to be a teacher of the Word. I did not get that from the Lord, right? But in His own way, He provided the path for me to get to where I am today. And I could not imagine doing anything different. Now, that's not to say that he's not got something else for me in my life in the next years to come. But I'm so excited to be here and share the word with you and talk through these scriptures that the Lord gives us. So we see from Acts 9 and a couple other places that God had a plan for Paul. Would you all agree with that? God had a plan for his life and it was much different than the plan that Paul had for his own life. And so, here's a couple things that I want you to think through with me on Paul's destiny. Number one, we've mentioned this, but that he was chosen for such a time as this, right? Paul was the man for the job. There was no one better for the job, and the Lord had a plan, and he tells Ananias, hey, go visit with Paul, help him with his blindness, and tell him that I've got a plan for you. And so, he was chosen for a time such as this. And it also reminds me of my favorite verse in Scripture that the Lord has laid on my heart the last couple of years. That is Ephesians 2.10. Guess who wrote Ephesians? Anybody want to take a wild guess at who wrote Ephesians? Paul writes Ephesians. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes this. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has already prepared in advance for us to do. The idea that the Lord has already prepared for you what you are going to do tomorrow and next week and the years to come, and he is preparing you for that right this moment. How cool is that? That Paul, a man who is determined to go take and find people of the way and persecute them, the Lord got a hold of his life, and he says, hey, I've got a new plan for you. And later, while he's in prison, writes the word, writes the letter to Ephesians and says, hey, I've learned over my years that the Lord was preparing me for the task at hand. That's the Paul that I like. I'm not a big fan of Paul who was there at the stoning of Stephen. Honestly, I'm not. But I am a fan of the Paul when the Lord gets a hold of his life and he comes into a new journey and a new mission. He says, hey, I'm going to be all about whatever the Lord has before me. No matter what stands against me, I'm going to stand firm on the foundation of Jesus. And I'm going to tell everybody that will listen 
about Jesus. And that's what we're going to get to see today. So why Paul? Why Paul? If he was destined for this, if he was chosen for this task, we may ask, why Paul? Who was Paul? We know that he was a Roman citizen. And we're going to see as we go through the trials that are facing a play at hand in Acts 23 through 26 that it's important that he's a Roman citizen, right? He kind of gets uh, a little bit sort of special, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Somebody help me out. He gets a little special attention, if you will, from the centurion and some of the people that are in charge because just simply by the fact that he was born a Roman citizen. So that helps this case a little bit. What else do we know about Paul? Well, Paul happened to be a pretty smart fellow. Right? He studied under the authority of Gamaliel. And so when he was younger, in his younger years, in his teenage years, he studied under a rabbi who was like the best of the best. Like he went to the school. He went to Harvard to be a Jew, to be a Pharisee. That's who he was. Like he had the knowledge of the scriptures, right? But here's what's also pretty cool about Paul is he had an understanding of the customs and the culture of the people around him. Paul had the ability to speak to the people. Do you remember when he's in Athens? And they have all these different uh, gods, these idols set up. And Paul looks around, and he understands the culture and the customs of these people. And he says, hey, what can I do to speak life into these people and tell them about Jesus? And he looks around, and he sees all these gods. And he looks, and he sees one altar to the unknown God. And Paul says, that's my way in. They know to serve and love a God who is big and and the sun, and the moon, and the stars, but they have an inscription for the one unknown God, and guess what, boys? I'm just to tell them about the one God that's over all these other gods. That's who Paul was. That's why he was called to do this task for the Lord. And a little side note, we're going to get back to this. Guess what? You too have been called to do something big for the Lord. I have no idea what that is in your life, but I just know that the same power that lived in Paul lives in you guys right now. And so you too have been called to something much bigger than you could ever imagine. Do you think Paul was looking forward to go on a journey of tens of thousands of miles on a ship to tell people about Jesus? I don't think that was on Paul's radar. I just don't, right? The way he was headed, he was all about, we're going to pound some faces, right? There's a couple of folks in here that, that have a testimony that I'm familiar with. There's a fellow sitting in here in kind of a pink shirt, right, right over here. That, that was his testimony, like, that dude enjoyed pounding some faces. Am I right, Brother Stephen? That's what he enjoyed doing, right? And listen, I'll let him share his own testimony, but guess what the Lord did? The Lord got a hold of his life, and he is not the same dude he once was. When people ask me if I know Stephen Hagen, I've only known him for a couple of years. I'm excited to know Stephen Hagen because I know that that dude loves the Lord, and I know that he has a story much like Paul where he was all about pounding some folks. Now he's all about preaching to some folks. And that is the same power that lives in these dudes and Paul and Silas and Timothy and Barnabas, the same power that lives inside of you guys. And so that's who Paul was, right? So he has this destiny. He has been chosen for such a time as this. And so now we talk about Paul's direction. How about we do that? What about Paul's direction? Where was he headed to? Well, we talked about in Acts chapter 7 how he was headed to persecution of people of the way. That's, that's where he was. That's where he was headed. That's who Paul was, right? But the Lord gets a hold of his life in Acts chapter 9, and we see that his direction changes very abruptly, right? This idea of repentance is I'm no longer just sort of going around the things that I know that keep me entangled in sin. But he says, boom, I'm going the other direction, and that's what Paul does. And so when we look at Paul's direction, we know that Paul had the zeal and the favor 
to serve the Lord, but it was a bit misguided, right? Never in reading Paul's story do I think that he did not think he was serving the Lord. I think he thought he was, right? There's some good people in our life that are doing things in the name of the Lord that aren't really of the Lord. And I think that's who Paul was. He was trying to do what he thought was right for the Lord, but he was misguided, right? His true north, sometimes we use that word, that true north, real direction, like really pointing me north, right? If I got a compass that says north is south, I'm going to be stuck in the woods pretty good ways, right? Now, I'm not very good at a compass anyway, but the idea being that if I had a compass and I was trusting that compass and I had true north, that somehow, some way, I could probably find myself out of a, out of a bad situation, right? But Paul didn't have that. His compass was pointing south when he thought it was pointing north. And so he had the zeal and favor for the Lord, but he was a little misguided. He lacked true direction. But then in Acts chapter 9, oh, but in Acts chapter 9, the Lord gets a hold of his life, and his life is completely different. And so the Lord puts him on a new journey. And now, very abruptly, in fact, when he comes back to Jerusalem, do you all remember this in Acts chapter 9? Ananias is with Paul. The Lord has already comforted Ananias. And he's like, just trust me on this one. I got you back. Paul's a good dude. We're going to use him. We need him in the camp, right? And he does that. And Ananias is like, all right, what's next? Well, let's go to Jerusalem and see the, see the boys, right? And so they go to Jerusalem, and they're, they're hanging out with the disciples. And the disciples, when they hear that Paul is coming, Saul is coming, do you all remember what their reaction was? Do you think they were jumping up and down, and they were uh, getting the, the, the calf ready for the, for the festival, and they were fisting to have a big party? They're like, hold up, Right? We, we talking about the same Saul here? Like, I, I, I've heard of people's lives being changed, but, but, but Saul? You sure we're talking about the same guy? Right? And Ananias and Bartimaeus and those guys, they're like, it's the same dude. It is. And the Lord got a hold of his life. Right? So we see his journey being new and being different. Right? All right, so here's where we're at. And here's where we're going to go today. That was just the intro. You're welcome. Right? So now we're ready to get started. So we're visiting to be in Acts chapter 24. Now you can go back really to Acts chapter 24. And while you're turning there, let's just recap real quick where Paul is on his journey, right? So his life has been changed, and he's on this new journey for the Lord. And all is going pretty well except for when he runs into who? Y'all remember who gives Paul the most trouble? The Jewish leaders, right? The people who are supposed to be about the Lord's work are the ones who are giving Paul the most trouble. In fact, they're giving him so much trouble that what do they want to do with Paul? Does anybody remember? In Acts 23, we saw last week that they have him arrested and they want to do what? They want to kill him. Now, check this out. I'm, I'm going to show you this because it's going to come back up in just a second. This is in Acts 23. Real quick, before we read in Acts 24, this is the plot to kill Paul. Real quick. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. I'm just going to stop right there. Just, just let that simmer for just a second because I think that it's going to be important in just a moment. These guys, there's about 40 of them. They say, all right, boys, we're going to get rid of Paul. We're tired of him. We don't believe that, that, that the Lord really got a hold of his life. In fact, he, he's gone foolish on us, right? This dude has lost his way, and we've got a plan. And so their plan is... As Paul is being transported from one place to another, about 40 of them are going to gang up on him, and they're going to kill him. But if you take note, what did they say they were not going to do until they kill him? They weren't going to eat or drink until they kill him, right? So, like, they're pretty serious about this. I don't know about y'all, but there's not a whole lot that I would not eat or drink for, right? But these 40 dudes are like, all right, no eating or drinking until Paul's killed. That is their, that's their plan. 
right? Okay. So a couple things happen at the end of Acts 23, but let's just pick up in Acts 24 and see what happens. Check this out. This is Acts 24. Let me see how far we're going to read. We're going to read 1 through 16. It's a little bit. I get it. I get it. But we're going to get through this together. But watch this. In Acts 24, five days later, stop right there. Five days later, Paul's still alive. Once again, I just told y'all, I'm not giving up food and drink very long for anything, much less five days later. Now, we don't know much about those, those guys, but I'm just wondering in my head, this is just Brandon, wondering out loud, are these guys still on their oath to give up food or drink? Or do you think somebody in the group of the 40s is like, guys, y'all have it. I'm out. I'm hungry. Right? I, it's just me. I'm just wondering. Just little things like that in Scripture that keep me intrigued and keep me thinking. Right? So five days later, the high priest... Ananias, different Ananias, just by the way, went down to Caesarea, where Paul has been transferred, with some of the elders and a lawyer. And they brought together their charges against Paul before the governor. This governor happens to be Felix. When Paul was called in, the governor presented his case before Felix. We have, uh, sorry, the lawyer presented his case. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere in every way, most excellent Felix. Y'all see what he's doing here? He, he's sucking up, right? Okay, all right, just make sure y'all get that. We acknowledge this with profound gratitude, but in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. So they come to the governor like, hey, we got a situation, right? We need your help. We got this fella. He did this. He did that. We just need your help, right? We need to get rid of the fella. We had this plan. The plan didn't really work out. So we need your help, governor, right? So we have this man, we have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. You think there's any exaggeration in that, right? So not only is he sucking up to the governor, he's like, hey, we got a situation. He is pretty much the worst guy you would ever meet. It's going to be a case closed type deal, right? Like, this is easy peasy, right? I'm going to tell you what he did. Paul's going to admit to it. We're going to be done with this, right? That's how the story appears to be going. So the Jews joined in the accusations asserting that these things were true, right? They got this band of brothers. They're like, yep, he did it. Yep, that's Paul. That's Paul, right? When the governor, that's Felix, motioned for him to speak, here's Paul's reply. Let me, let me just stop for just a second. Your own trial, You've already been before the Sanhedrin, your fellow Jews, and they don't want anything to do with you. They're mad at you. They want to kill you. And now you're transferred to a new city down the way called Caesarea, and you're standing before the governor of that place, and they still are trying to cause trouble for you. What do you suppose your response in that moment would be? Like anybody, really. That's a serious question. Do you think you would be, hey, let me tell you about Jesus? Is that anybody's first response? Listen, if I'm being honest and completely vulnerable with you, I'm trying to find a way out. Like, I just don't want to be in prison. I want to go see my homeboys. I want to go see my family. And I want to go tell the people that want to hear about Jesus, that's the people I want to go tell about Jesus. Right? That's just me being honest with you. Right? But that's not how Paul replies. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replies, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation. So I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem just to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone or at the temple or stirring up a crowd at the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges that they are now making against me. However, 
I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they have called a sect. I do believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God that these men do. And I have the same hope, sorry, and there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. So Paul says, hey, number one, what these guys are saying is not true. But let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about my Jesus. That's what Paul does. Now, look, he's not up on a cross. It doesn't appear that he's in, like, uh, what, do we, what do they call the things where your hands and your heads, what was that? Shackle stocks, right? He, it doesn't appear that he's in that. He probably is bound in some way, right? Some type of handcuff type deal. So he, is, he probably is bound in some way. But he says, hey, this is what I can tell you. What they're saying is not true. That nothing that they say is true. But while we're here, while we're having this conversation, let me tell you about somebody I know. That's who Paul was. That's how his life changed from being a murderer and finding any way, a part of the way, and persecuting them to anybody that wasn't of the way. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And that's who Paul was. And I'm so excited to have stories about a man named Paul who his life was changed and had the opportunity to share Jesus everywhere So when we read that, we see that he wasn't just trying to save himself. That's not who Paul was. He wasn't trying to find an out. Now, in Acts 23, I do think Paul was pretty cunning in Acts 23. Y'all remember last week, he's he's talking to the Sanhedrin, and in the Sanhedrin you have the Sadducees and the Pharisees, right? Paul, for at least a moment, he's like, hey, I'm going to throw this one up and let them talk about it. Hey, boys, why don't y'all talk about the resurrection? He kind of slips out, and he's like, I'm going to let them go at it for a while. Because these two groups, the Sadducees, they were sad, you see. They did not believe in the resurrection, right? And then they had the Pharisees who did believe in the resurrection. And so Paul's like, hey, y'all mad at me? How about for just a moment, y'all talk about this one. I'm going to slip out for just a moment, right? But in this case, when he's before Felix, he makes no bones about it. He says, listen, they've got some trumped up charges, right? They've they got some things that they're saying that's not true. But I don't really care about that. The reason that I'm here is to tell you about my God. And I do believe in a God who saves. And I do believe in a Jesus who came as the Messiah and saved my life and changed my life. Let me tell you about my Jesus, right? Here's another scripture for you. Go to Acts 24, flip over just a little bit, and go to verses 22 through 27. This was kind of how Felix replies. Paul goes on and tells the rest of his story and his testimony. And Felix replies, Felix, this is this verse 22, then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjoined the proceedings, right? He's like, all right, that's enough for today. Y'all know how, uh, what do they call it in court? Recess, right? Like that. Recess, right? All right, so we got a recess, right? And so Felix was like, all right, I understand and I know who, who you're talking about, Paul, but I think that's enough for today. It says, when the commander comes, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of him. Two things come across right here that I think are important. I think partly because Paul was a Roman citizen, he's given a bit of freedom. But I think, and, I, and listen, I may be reading into this more than, than what is really in Scripture. But I think there was something about Felix that, that he saw as curious in when he was listening to Paul. I just believe that. I think that there was something. Now, there's never any indication that Felix came to know the Lord. But I think Felix was thinking, man, there is something a little bit different about this fellow than other people that I've had to deal with, right? And so he gives him a bit of freedom and he allows his friends to kind of come take, take care of him. 
Several days later, Felix came with his wife, who was a Jewish. She sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about the faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness and self-control and judgment to come, Felix became afraid. And he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. And when I find it convenient, check this out. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer a bribe so that he could send for him frequently and talk to him. So there's a couple things, even though I think Felix was a bit curious about this message that Paul has, I do believe from Scripture we also see that Felix was corrupt and cruel at the same time. So somehow, some way, I think that the Lord was working through Paul and giving Felix just a glimpse of a new life, possibly so. But yet Felix tends to lean on his own understanding and lean on his flesh and say, hey, the only way out is a bribe. If you look at the next passage, the next verse, it says that Felix would leave Paul in prison for the next two years. So Paul doesn't even get to go to trial. Paul doesn't even get his out. He just basically sits in the barracks. Now, it was more, a little more, my understanding, a little more like house arrest. But, I mean, like, I'm not even good at staying home for the day, much less for the next two years. Right? So there were some things that he could probably do that he had opportunity to do and people to come see. But could you imagine being on house arrest for two years for not having done anything wrong and not sure when your next trial would be? That would be tough, right? So in my head, I'm thinking, Paul, this is a pretty tough journey, right? The direction that God has led him on, do you think, Paul, and I don't know this. Once again, there's some things that I just think whenever I read Scripture. Do you think Paul was ever in that moment, in that house arrest, and thought, Lord, where are you at, buddy? Right? Like, I don't know. Maybe Paul was so strong in his conviction and his faith that he never, that thought never crossed his mind. Maybe so. But there's also at least the small possibility that Paul had some questions on his journey. Because here's what I know to be true. I have some questions on my journey. And you guys have had some questions on your journey. Why God? Why this? Why not that? Lord, I thought you were taking me here. Right? My own testimony is a bit like that. I had a great plan whenever I was 17 years old. A great plan. Now, it seems a bit foolish now that I had a great plan at 17 years old. And I knew exactly what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I knew exactly where I was going to go to school, and I knew exactly what I was going to do, and I knew how I was going to get there, and I knew how I was going to serve the Lord. And guess what? None of that worked out. None of it. But God had a much greater plan for me. And where I am now is much greater than where I thought I was going to be. And I thought it was a good plan, but the Lord had a better plan for me. How cool is that? All right, here we go. Let's go to Acts 25. Hey, one chapter down, two to go. It's only... uh, 1130. We're going to make it. All right, chapter 25. Here we go. First seven verses. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus, this is the new governor. Felix is gone. Festus is in. The new governor went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. Once again, let's take just a quick break and think through this. He has been, Paul has been in in jail, house arrest of some sort for two years. Do you think at some point the Jewish leaders are like, all right, enough for Paul. He's been locked up. We can move on with ourselves. As soon as Festus comes in, three days later, they meet with uh, Festus and they say, hey, about our boy Paul, let me tell you about him, right? And so they bring up these charges. And it says they urgently requested Festus 
as a favor to them to have Paul transferred back to Jerusalem, for they were preparing once again to do what? They were wanting to kill Paul. It wasn't good enough that he was locked up in house arrest. That was not good enough. They wanted him gone. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. So let some of your leaders just come with me, and we'll press the charges against the man there if he has done anything wrong. So I will give it to Festus. At least at first, he has this idea, hey, I'll go listen, right? But we're going to see if this man really is, is guilty of what you say that he's guilty of, right? Seems like a decent governor, right? Verse 6, after spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. You ever had somebody so mad at you that they would come up with anything to drag your name through the mud? Like Sometimes that happens, and man, that, that bugs me to no end when people think they know or come up with this crazy stuff about us. But that's what's happening to Paul. Constantly, time after time after time, these Jews who should have known who the Lord was is constantly, his name's being drugged through the mud. He's constantly being put on trial for, from these guys who, who really didn't understand who the Lord was at all. They were completely missing who the Lord was and who Paul was and what Paul was all about. So we read that in verse, tw- I mean, sorry, in chapter 25. And then we see Paul start to make his defense. We see Paul start to make his defense, but still he uses the opportunity to share the good news. In verses 11 and 12, we won't read it, but if you glance down at 11 and 12, we see Paul is done with these guys, and where does he want to go? I'm going to Caesar. I'm going to Rome. Let me, let me just have it out. Let me, let me just go to Caesar, because you guys obviously are not going to make any headway. You obviously don't know what you're talking about. You're just constantly going through the same rigmarole over and over and over. He's like, all right, I just want to go see the big dog. Take me to Caesar. So we see that in Acts 25. But an interesting thing happens while they're still in Caesarea. A fellow by the name of King Agrippa shows up to come pay homage, to come see Festus. And they're kind of buddies. And Festus gets to talking with King Agrippa. He's like, hey, I need your help. It just so happens that we, ha- we have a guy in town that um, is causing some trouble, at least by the Jews' standard. They, they, they don't really, uh, they can't really tell me exactly what he's done. I keep getting these different parts of the story. But I think that you might find this interesting. Now, part of the reason that Agrippa would find this interesting is that he, too, was accustomed. He was familiar with the ways of the Jews. And so Festus, who wasn't really familiar with this, says, hey, King Agrippa, you kind of know about how they do things, right? So why don't we go have a conversation with Paul? I want you to meet this guy. I think he's a little interesting. It might make for some interesting conversation. And so let's do this. Let's go to Acts 26. Listen, y'all didn't even know that. We just got through a whole other chapter very shortly. Acts 26, verses 1 through 3 to start. Then Agrippa says to Paul, so King Agrippa has come in. He's like, all right, Paul, I'll hear you out. And here's what Paul has to say to Agrippa. So Paul motioned with his hands. I think I was a little, I'm a little like Paul. Like he, he was that guy that spoke with his hands. Y'all know those kind of people, right? So I, I like that verse. So Paul motioned with his hands and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. 
So Paul knows in some context who he's talking to, a fellow that knows his ways, that, that is familiar with the customs of the Jews. And if you keep reading through chapter 26, you'll see it's basically a recap of what we read in Acts, and Paul shares his testimony before the king. How cool would that be, to have the opportunity to share your testimony before a governor, before a president, before a king? Would you do it? Is that what you would talk about? Or would you talk about what's going on in the world around us? Would you talk about how the Texas Rangers won the World Series? Would you talk about the big buck that showed up on camera this week and nowhere else to be found one day? You know, like, are those the things that we talk about? Or are we going to take that opportunity to share our testimony? So Paul shares his story with King Agrippa, and he gives his full testimony, or at least the part that Agrippa would have been needing to know. And so jump down to Acts 26, 24 through 29, and here's where I want to finish today. So Paul is sharing his testimony. Festus is is kind of to the side, right? Festus and Agrippa, they're having this conversation with Paul. And here's what Festus says in verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupts Paul's defense. You are out of your mind. You are out of your mind. Is it not true that sometimes when the Lord is doing things in our life that it makes no sense to the people around us? Sometimes that's the way. Sometimes it makes perfect sense. Like where I'm at today and what I do today, I think makes sense. But in my mind as a 17-year-old, if you would have told me what I do today, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so sometimes we have a story that does not make sense to people around us. So Festus is telling, dude, you got to be, you're losing your marbles. He says, your great learning is driving you insane. Here's Paul's reply. I'm not insane. Most excellent Festus. He still had the respect enough to not just lash out at him. He says, hey, listen, I know you're a man of power. I'm not insane. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king, Agrippa, he's, he's familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Because Agrippa would have been familiar with the Jewish custom, he tells, Paul tells him, listen, think back to what you have been taught. What I'm saying aligns perfectly with what you've been taught. I know you believe this story. As crazy as it is, as much as Festus thinks I'm out of my mind, I know you can see how God is working this path in this story of mine. I love and hate this verse. Verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul's mission was to go speak the gospel and tell the good news to anybody that would listen. He did not care what the circumstances were. And King Agrippa's response is, do you think in just this short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Look at Paul's response. Short time or long, I pray that God, pray to God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, a believer, minus the shackles. That is Paul's response. When, when this guy lashes out at him, or at least to me in a tone of, Dude, I'm hearing you. I see some correlations here. But do you really think in just a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul's response is, I don't care how long it takes, buddy. 
Give me 10 minutes, I'm going to share the good news with you. Give me 10 days, I'm going to share the good news with you. Give me 10 years, I'm going to share the good news with you. And so I think in our lives, sometimes we got that short window to share the good news with people. Sometimes, like in our families, I have the opportunity of having five loving kids that I'm going to have a long time, God willing, to share the gospel with them. And guess what? That is my calling. A part of my calling is to share the good news. Today, I've got, I don't know, Brother Jeff said, I've got two hours, right? So I've got two hours with you guys this morning to share the good news with you. He didn't really say that. I just make sure y'all still awake. So, you know, who knows how much time you have, but Paul says, I don't care how much time I have, I'm going to share the good news with you, and I'm going to point my life to Jesus, and if you want to be a part of it, get on the train. If you don't, i got somebody else I'm going to go talk to. So I wonder if our lives can be a bit like Paul. Not in that we're in shackles, right? That's his prayer. I want you guys to believe in the same Jesus that I do, the, the Savior and Messiah of my life, but I don't care that you have to do this in shackles. I don't wish that upon you, but if that's how we got to go down, if this is how it's got to go down, Let's, do, let's roll. We got this. Because the Lord will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Anybody want to take a wild stab at who wrote that? Paul writes that while he's in Corinth before he goes to prison in Rome. He writes the book of Romans. And two things stick out in the book of Romans. Number one, at the very beginning, he says, hey, I long to come see you. While he's in Corinth, before he's arrested, he says, hey, I long to come see you and hang out with you guys and encourage you. Little did he know that he was going to go in shackles to Rome. But he would also write crazy things in Corinth to the Romans say, hey, even if it doesn't work out the way that I want it to, guess what? The Lord still has my back and he's still working all things together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That is the same in your life, my friends. There is no different in your life and Paul's life in that we are on the same journey together. It looks a lot different. I'm not jumping on a boat and going tens of thousands of miles to share the gospel. But... The Lord is going to put people in your life here and abroad to share the gospel with for 10 minutes, for 10 days, for 10 years. And it's our opportunity to love those folks and show them Jesus in all that we do. So Paul's determination. Paul is not going to back down no matter the circumstance. And that is not easy to do. He is not going to back down. Whatever comes against him, Paul is like, all right, let's go. I'm still going to show you Jesus, no matter what the circumstances may be. I had the opportunity to go to a, to a conference this week over in Dallas. It was the Right Now Media Conference. If you've ever seen anything on Right Now Media, dude, they put out some good Bible studies, small group stuff. I love it. And there was a pastor there from Philadelphia, and he, as he was sharing his message, as he was sharing from the gospel, he said this, and it stuck to me. You and I were never called to avoid the darkness. You and I were never called to avoid the darkness. But rather, you and I are called to suit up in the armor of the Lord, put our feet on the firm foundation of Jesus, and run right into the darkness. That is who we're called to be. You and I were called to be the light into this world. And the good news about it is, the darker the darkness, the brighter the light. Y'all ever had a flashlight? I thought about doing this. But I do think it probably should go to lunch at some point. But you ever had a flashlight when the room was bright? And you're like, I, I can't even really tell if this flashlight's working. You know what I'm talking about, that idea, right? But when you turn all the lights off and it's dark, dark, and that flashlight is handy. And so you and I have been called to suit up 
and go right into the darkness to be the light. We don't go around the darkness. We don't go over the darkness. We don't go under the darkness. We go into the darkness to share the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. And the darker the darkness, the greater the, greater the light. And so we could turn off all the lights in here and just have one flashlight. And, I, and guess what? I bet we could all navigate out of here if we needed to. Because it's that one light in darkness, in sure darkness, is pretty good. But guess what? If this light was completely dark, this room was completely dark, and every one of you turned on your flashlight on your phone, or if you happen to be one of those people who carries around a flashlight in your pocket and you turned it on, guess what? It'd be awfully bright in here, wouldn't it? So that's what you and I are called to do, much like Paul. He had a new destiny. He had a new direction in life, and he had a new journey. And much like that, you and I are called to be the light. Here's a couple more quotes, and we'll finish up for the day. There was another pastor at this conference named Brian Carter. He's a pastor over in Dallas. And he says, the world around us is just a reminder that we have a great work to do. You you can do one of two things. You can look around us and see how the world is falling apart and say, hey, I just don't have it in me to fight this battle anymore. And I give up. Or you can look around you and say, hey, I got a lot of battles I could be winning right now because the Lord is on my side. Not on my own strength, not in me, not in what Brandon can do. But in what the Lord can do through me, there's a bunch of battles we could be winning out there. In our families, in our friendships, in our churches, in our homes, in our workplace. And there's a bunch of battles to be won. And guess who, who, who God has called to win those battles? You, and you, and you, and you, and you. Everyone in here, he has called for such a time as this. Here's the last quote I'll give you for today. If you have never had the opportunity to listen to, whether a podcast, on the computer, or in person, Lisa Harper, just do yourself a favor and go listen to her. She is hilarious, but she brings the word, she brings the truth every time she does it. She's a Bible teacher. She will not call herself a pastor. She's a Bible teacher out of Nashville, Tennessee. And she said this week, she said, if we seek the applause of men more than we seek to lean into the love of God, life will get crooked really quick. So if I stand up here and try to preach the gospel so that you can hear my voice and my words, it's all for naught. But if I stand up here in the power of Jesus and stand firm on his foundation, there's a few things that you guys are going to pick up on today that will change your life. Because guess what? He has changed my life through the book of Acts. And he changed Paul's life as we were reading through Paul's journey in the book of Acts. And he will change our lives when we rest in him and suit up in his armor, not in my armor. Right? I get, I get weary about what I need to wear to church and what I need to wear to school and all that. But guess what? I don't, I don't need you to see this. What I want you to see is the armor that the Lord puts on. That breastplate and that belt of truth, right? And that sword that's the word. That's what I want you to see. That's what I want to walk around so that people see a mighty warrior. Not, not, not me, but they see the mighty water, warrior who is in me. And I can go and I can fight some battles on his behalf just like Paul did. And so here's the question that I'll leave, with, leave you with today. What is God calling you to do today? Not 10 years from now. Like I, none of us really know what, what life's going to look like in 10 years. But I do think in this moment, I bet, I'd be willing to bet that the Lord has put something on your life lately that you knew that it was a battle that you needed to go into and you were unsure about if you wanted to face that battle or not. Let me just leave you with a bit of encouragement today that the same power that Paul fought his battles in is the same power that lives in you.
The same power that rose Christ from the dead is the same power that lives in you. The same power that parted the Red Sea for Moses and the Israelites is the same power that lives in you. So whatever that battle is, I don't care how big, how small, how pretty, how ugly it may be, the Lord will fight for you. Amen?